This is the AZ Brandcast, where we explore Arizona's brand and the brands that make Arizona. I'm Mike Jones. And I'm Chris Stadler. All right. Hey, everybody. Wow. I can't believe it's April already. And we are in the middle of perhaps one of the worst pandemics in the last hundred years. So this should be a fun conversation, Chris. I'm actually really excited for this episode because uh, Chris and I are just going to sit and chat with Sam uh, from our team. Yes. And who normally is behind the behind the board, making us all sound really good. And today he's going to... Still am. St- I guess you still are. But now you but guys... But your voice is going to come out from behind. You've released me. You've uncaged <laughs> yeah. me. Yep. We're going to release this the Sam dragon. Mm. The I, cr- think, the I think some people didn't even believe he was real. <laughs> It's a made-up artificial voice. Well, now I am real. (laughs) So we're going to have a fun conversation today. Chris, talk a little bit about our theme for today, because I I think it's pretty relevant. So, well, you know, I thought, you know, it has to be about COVID-19, right? Because that's what everything's about these days. But, you know, I was like, what? Mike and I were like, what, what What do we talk about that would be a value? The AZ brand, what's AZ? How is AZ different? How are we handling things differently? Instead, let's talk about how brands should be thinking about this COVID-19 thing. How should brands navigate? And I thought, mm. who better to talk about that than Mike? So Mike, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> you're gonna answer a lot of questions today. <laughs> I'll do my best. We'll try to make it more of a discussion, but yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about, I love that. I, I'm really excited for this topic because I think this is a fantastic opportunity for brands to step in and lean into their values, their purpose, and. I know I'm jumping ahead, Chris, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Okay, well, because we have an icebreaker question. Yeah, too. let's do the icebreaker. I changed the icebreaker. Uh-oh. Crap. Yeah. yeah. On uh, my toes. What's, so you uh, you enjoy a good scotch, right? Occasionally. <sighs> yes, I do. Once in a while. <laughs> Maybe even right now. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, no, uh, Sam and I think it was Sam and Chris. It was a joint gift. It was my birthday recently, and yeah. they got me. An amazing bottle of scotch. So we're all enjoying that right now. Yeah, Mike decided to share. Yeah, I have to. It's like the whole point. I'm a social drinker. Yeah. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. Uh so uh tell us about all right, you guys too, and Sam, you're included in this. Um worst drink, alcoholic drink you've ever had. And if you're uncomfortable with alcoholic drink, you can say in a non-alcoholic drink, okay. but just any drink. We prefer an alcoholic drink. Alcoholic worst alcoholic drink. Same. Uh, yeah. So, um there are certain people in my my family, uh my extended family in particular, uh who really enjoy beer. Um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. their their favorite beer um is whatever's on sale. So um, <laughs> I have... They drink I've, with their wallet. Discerning. Yeah. yeah they so, have discerning wallets. Uh, we're talking, you know, Natty Light, uh, <laughs> Keystone Light. Um, I think those have to be those have to be up there. Those are pretty bad. Yeah. Those are pretty bad. Chris is just smiling. He's like, yeah, that's, I, that's I, my Saturday afternoon drink. I, yeah. <laughs> Go out to the gun range with my my keystone light. It's very hydrating because it's mostly water. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Perfect for Arizona, right? Uh, So mine is probably 
So I did some consulting work a long time ago and for a mead company. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, mead yeah. is really weird. So so guess what they, my partial payment yeah. was in, it was in mead. Yeah, fermented <laughs> so, honey. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So now I know why mead isn't, isn't like kind of fell out of favor, I think, <laughs> because it's just not great. No, I've had it once and it was not the most appealing drink to me. I, I drank it out of principle, most of it. But a lot of it I gave away is just kind of a novelty gift. Yeah. So it, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, appreciated it. Got to drink some mead, got to say, yeah. like, got to feel like a Viking for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. After that, like. It's super sweet. Mead. It's like way too sweet for me. And like oil, it feels yeah. oily. It's not, I'm sure it's not, but it's like, it's like a little bit like drinking, a little bit like honey, but. Yeah. Yeah. But not. Which makes sense, but. Yeah, it's it's an interesting drink. Probably rather have had honey flavored yeah, water. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like people were like, "Oh, this mead thing's cool," and then they had wine, and we're like, "Yeah, what are we doing? We're switching to that." Yeah. So. Yeah. Because you look at like the ancient world, and, like everybody by the time like people were making wine, everybody was drinking wine. Nobody's drinking mead anymore. Although apparently, I think if I remember right, I could be wrong. So go fact check me on Wikipedia because that's the place to fact check. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure mead is one of the oldest fermented drinks in the world. That's today. I think it's older than wine, at least according to whatever, you know, archaeologists and those paleontologists think they know. The people who know. The people who think they know. Um, This is a tough question. I, I have two that stand out. One for the actual drink itself and the other for the experience with the drink. So I want to hear about the experience one. Well, we're going to save that because leave you in suspense. Uh, So the the first one was I picked up a bottle of scotch from my local grocery store like four years ago. And I had no idea what it was and I didn't have a lot of money. So I didn't want to spend a whole lot. And I bought like a $20 bottle of scotch. And I've learned since then the key to a good bottle of scotch is not to pay only 20 bucks. Yeah, um, because I bought it. And I took it home and I looked it up and I was like, what is this? And I tasted it and it was terrible. It was just like, who is buying this? And part of it was like, it's scotch. So there's not a lot of drinks you can make with scotch that really taste great. And so like most people, when they buy scotch, drink it to drink it straight. Um, And mostly because scotch is actually typically very good uh, from a, from a standpoint of whiskeys, because it's often aged for a long time. Um, this stuff was not. <laughs> Did it say Glenn in the name? No, but it said McCullen. It oh, was, it yeah. was McCullen. That was the brand. Mm. Um, I would be tricked too. So I looked it up and people were like, yeah, this is really new. Don't really know what to think of it. And then a couple like just, you know, random reviews were like, yeah, not great. So I've been trying for years to figure out how to use it up because I, I can't drink it. So I've done really weird stuff. I've, I've used it to pickle things. I throw a little bit of that in the pickle jar with the brine and add a little scotch flavor. I've used it in uh, cooking with like, uh, I've made scotch beans, kind of like baked beans, but with some scotch added. What about like helping your kids fall asleep faster? You know, I haven't tried that yet. Um, I feel like there's products on the market that do that really well already. You know, like you know, a little Robitussin or a little Benadryl. So... Fair enough. Knock your kids out. What's your What's your other one? What's <laughs> so your the other, other one? Uh, more recently, I went to Cheesecake Factory, which I'm learning probably don't order drinks at Cheesecake Factory. Um, 
but I ordered, I can't even remember what it was. It was, I think their version of like an old fashioned or a whiskey sour or something. And I read it and it was like, they used honey instead of sugar. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try that. And they brought it out and I took a sip and it was like super sweet, which it was like, okay, this is a little sweet for me, but I'll, I'll drink it. It's okay. You know, it's not bad. And then I, it was in like a martini glass, which was really weird. And I, I hate those really long stem glasses because I do what I just, what I did that night. Oh which no. Is I knocked the bottom of the glass, putting it down and yes. I spilled like a third of the drink all over the table, which can be okay, <laughs> except that it was full of honey. But so you- now everything's sticky. And I like had honey all over my hands and like the table and everywhere. But for you the rest were of the tricked night. because it was like you're like this is an old fashioned, right? So you didn't yeah. even think about it. You just like set it down like you would normally. Yeah, I just I'm not I'm not good. Not your the, fault. I'm saying not that's my fault, fault. Not my fault. It was uh, yeah. So those are my I don't know. I'm sure I've had a worse drink sometime, but it's a good question, Chris. Thanks, man. I like that. So let's talk about Sam. Uh, he is guys. Welcome, Sam. Welcome. Hey, Sam. Thank Officially. You. So great to be uh, here. It's great to have you here. Um, you Sam are, has been on the show before. I want to make this has. clear. He has actually been a guest it's last true. year. Oh, yeah. We talked all about video. Totally. So people should go check out that episode if yep. you want to dig into Sam's mind a little bit more around yeah. video stuff. Because Sam does a lot of things really well. He um, does. Not least soccer. Oh, you thought I was going to say video, didn't you? Yeah. 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 But he plays soccer really well. It's football, actually. I don't care about that. (laughs) You'll never walk alone. Our audience is Americans, and they say soccer. So so anybody listening to this podcast, uh, you'll never walk alone. Uh, (laughs) uh, Facebook message us if you know what that means, and you'll win a thumbs up from Sam. Big thumbs up. Big thumbs up. It's an animated gif of Sam with a thumb. Mm -hmm. You'll never walk alone. Look it up. so Sam, you are a sound engineer and you're also CD at Resound. What does CD stand for? Uh, CD, compact disc, <laughs> okay. uh, popular um, media playback item. Uh, not anymore. In the 90s. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> Super popular. 90s, early, early, early aughts. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a creative uh, through and through, so that's that's what I do. And it's super fun to... Do what I love and uh, and have a ton of fun getting to work with uh, alongside you, Chris, and you, Mike, and uh, you the complete team, me. The team at Resound. <laughs> um, it's kind of uh, true, though. Sam yeah. does complete us. Yeah. Well, same with you guys. Um, so yeah, I get to do a lot of creative things: um, video, photography. Uh, I've never been called a sound engineer, though. That's a new one. Um, well, you have the skills, so yeah, I guess so. I know you probably don't want to pigeonhole yourself there, but I don't. Um, but I think you know some of that comes from from video. Well, and it's your it's your your spot on the show. Sound it is, yes, yeah. I prefer maybe producer or director. Producer. Yeah, Chris and I have had this Changing conversation that before. Now. Can you hear me typing? <laughs> I'll I'll, remember, put, I'll fix it in post. I'll I remember when sounds <laughs> Karen Karen produced our show last year and Chris would always call her the sound engineer on the show. (laughs) And I'd sit there and be like, she's the producer. Yeah. Honest mistake. It's all good. Uh, Sam, what's, uh, what's on your playlist right now? 
See, we used to ask what's in your CD player, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Can't so, say that anymore. No, yeah. but what's on your Spotify or Amazon oh, man. music or that's your preferred? A, that's a and really or good iTunes question. and or Google Play and or. Yeah. No, blah, I, blah, use, blah, blah. I use Spotify uh, when I'm working on my computer uh, because there's a really, you know, you can find anything pretty much on Spotify. What's the band name? What's the band name? Um, Man, I so I have kind of a weird taste in music. I could listen to like some punk rock one minute and then totally switch over to like classical. Like it just whatever whatever I like, I like. I don't I'm not like super picky on um you know different genres or whatever, but um I have so I have a mix of um a lot of things in my play. I keep a playlist on Spotify. So when I do, when I just like look around for random stuff, if I find a song that I like, I just throw it into that playlist. There's currently 333 songs in that playlist, which dates back to um, 2013. I didn't know it takes so long to answer this question. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to ask it, so I'm not prepared. Um, He's stalling. Yeah. Stalling so you can answer. Let, let me let me give you some 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 fringe artists that you may may have never heard of okay. that you'll thank me for later. Do it. So one of them is Filter, P H I L T E R. I've heard of oh, Filter. Have you heard of Filter? P H. Yeah. Okay. P H P H I L T E R. Filter. They're I they're they're super fun to listen to. Um, they're in in and of themselves. They're every song is just really different. Um. You get some some rap in there. You get some like really cool like instrumental symphonic type stuff. Um, okay, final question. <laughs> you have three kids. Which is your favorite and why? <laughs> and then I have on my playlist. I have. Um, oh, no, do your thing, man. <laughs> There's people just dropping off this episode right now. People are just like, what the heck, guys? I'm, ne- I'm never going to get a microphone again. <laughs> Don't ever bring that guy back. <laughs> yeah. All right. So which, are, which of your three kids is your favorite? <clears throat> uh, and why? Hmm. That is. Wait, let me let me make sure Ashley's on speakerphone right now. <laughs> no, get the kids on. Get the, on yeah, wait, she, she's going to play it for the kids right now. Wait, let, at least tell us the names of your kids. Okay. And go, go. Henry, four years old, Lincoln, two years old, and Lexi, six months old. To the listening audience, what is your favorite of the names? <laughs> or should he change one of the names to something better? Uh, oh, man. All right, no, seriously, last question. I love my kids. Uh, no, this is a question mm. for the audience. Uh, to stay on track with that question. Uh, give us three new names for Sam's children. Yes, rename Ready, Sam's children. Uh, and, they, and they are Henry, Lexi, Lincoln. and Lincoln. What, are, what should they be named? Yep. Go. Go. Uh, and then on. final question, what's the worst birthday present you've ever gotten? Me? Oh, man. Uh, Hard one, right? Man, don't don't say your least favorite child, though. Oh, man. That's a tough question. <laughs> least favorite or worst birthday present I've ever received? I don't know, man. I really don't know. Give me, like, a donkey. Just a dud of a birthday present. I think, I think I, like Mike with his drinks, I think I've just erased them from my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've, I don't know. 
Okay. That's a really tough question. I feel like there was All one right. year that I got like socks or underwear when I was a kid yeah. as like a birthday present. And it was just like, really? Come on, mom. It's like the main one. It, thankfully, it wasn't the main one. Okay. But it was like, really? You wrapped this? <laughs> yeah. Why bother? Yeah. yeah. You know. I think one time maybe one of my one of my brothers who I love dearly got me a CD back on, we're back on the CDs. They got me a CD that they were like super excited about and I I didn't really like it, but I was like, "Oh, you totally got this for me because you wanted to listen to it." <laughs> that was our MO when we were kids, like for our parents. We like I just remember buying my parents like Michael Jackson CD or records, you know, cuz it was back in the day. Um, my so, kids get me candy that they also enjoy. Yeah. 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 That's what happens. Yep. Totally. Uh, so we, we are going to eventually though, talk about brands. Uh, so Mike, I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, you're, you're talking with a lot of people right now. Um, you're talking with a lot of people. You've opened up kind of an office hours kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have your ear kind of the ground. What I want to know is, how, and, and also from media too, not just from those conversations, but also just what are you seeing? What are you hearing out there? How are businesses dealing with this COVID-19 crisis? Yep. Well, I mean, I think like any crisis, you get a wide range of responses. I see a lot of businesses who are in, um, you know, they're in risk aversion mode, right? So I think that's one extreme. Mm. Uh, cut everything that you possibly can. Um, you know, drastic cuts to uh, the bottom line, right? And that may look like laying people off. It may look like a combination of that. Plus, you know, everyone else needs to take a pay cut too. Um, I know of, you know, pretty large businesses that are doing that across the board and they're, you know, they're losing money on the front end. Their, their customers are not buying. And so they're anticipating like, well, this could be, you know, six months and we're just going to do it now, right? We're going to rip the bandaid off and and really just take a big hit right now. Um, I see some people who are either in that boat or similarly in that boat who are kind of like, okay, I just gotta, I just gotta wait this out, right? Cut some costs, make sure we're financially, you know, matching kind of where the new cash flow level is, and then just just ride this out, and we'll see how long it takes. And, um, but not necessarily doing a whole lot of new things. And that's, I think, where the other end of the spectrum is, is a whole lot of people who are maybe less so, but I think there's a fair amount of people who are like, okay, I have to change things. I can't be doing things the same way I was six weeks ago, right? The demand isn't there or my customers can't get to me in the same way or I can't deliver my product or service in the same way. So I have to change what I'm doing, but I still want to deliver value, right? I still want to fulfill on my promise and my purpose as an organization, as a business. And so we're thinking creatively about how to do that differently or, um, you know, how to, how to continue to deliver value to the customers they do have. I do see a lot of businesses. Um, and I think this is a really good approach, really doubling down on the customers they already have Hmm. and really saying like, okay, let's talk, let's figure out what you need. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, I believe it was, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was Harvest. So we use a software app called Harvest to do all our time tracking and invoicing. It's a great app. Uh, definitely recommend it. Um, but they published, you know, they sent out an email to all of their customers just saying like, hey, here's some things we're doing 
to try to help you financially get through this. So one of them that they did was, so normally if you, if you need to stop paying for your account for whatever reason, right? Like you just don't have the money or the cash flow, or you're just not using it. Typically you have to close the account. And if you want to reopen it, I think you can get some of that data back, but a lot of it's not there and you can't keep using it. Uh, while you don't have it open, which is pretty normal, right? If you pay for software and you stop paying for it, you probably shouldn't be able to use it, right. um, especially in a subscription model. They came out with a new program where they said, look, if you need to like put your account on pause, we've created a new way to do that for this specific time mm-hmm. so that you can just put it on pause. We won't bill you for it. You're not going to lose any data. You're not going to lose any history. So you can still go back in and get your history and stuff for reporting but you don't have to keep using it because you don't have people who need to track time and you're not doing any invoicing. And so we'll just let you put it on pause and we're not going to charge you for it during that time. Um, so those are the kinds of things where I'm like, I see companies really doubling down on customers and saying, look, the relationships we already have are the most important. Let's really make sure we're delivering value and serving those people well in whatever context they're in. Um, I think that's just one example. Um, there's others I'm seeing do discounts for, you know, like there's a uh, co-working space that we know of that is doing discounts for paying on time, mm. right? And then they're also offering, you know, an ad hoc, like on a one-to-one basis. Like if you're just really struggling and you need to get some kind of discount or you need to figure out some financial, you need some financial flexibility. They're having conversations one-on-one with with uh, members to kind of figure that out. Um, I know another co-working space that just flat out like gave every member free, free uh, co-working space for the whole month of April, just saying like, "Hey, we don't expect you to be in here, so we're not going to charge you for it. You'll still be a member if you want to come in. You, you still need to use it because you ha- you know you have something you really need to get done, um, or if you're a you know uh, a necessary service or product that you know the government has said, hey, you you need to continue to operate." Um, then great, like you, you still have space that you can use. Here's some of the things we've done. I've seen a lot of co-working spaces getting really creative around, um, you know, cleaning supplies, you know, upping how often their their janitorial service is rolling through the building in order to just make sure things are really clean, doing extra cleaning, make sure surfaces are like actually, you know, clean and sanitized. Um, so, I mean, just a lot of stuff where I see a lot of organizations really trying to say, look, we want to make this work for you as a customer, right? We want to serve you in whatever context you find yourself in in this. Do you see do you see much of a difference between companies who kind of have their values and they're doing values-based value adds versus people who are doing kind of a transactional-based kind of like, oh, here's what yep. people are doing, so we better do it too? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to tell on the outside, mm-hmm. you know? So unless I have a direct conversation with somebody in the leadership, it it's hard to tell, like, is this being driven by values or is this being driven by market trend or, uh, you know, an external expectation, like customers are demanding that we give discounts, so we have to give a discount kind of thing. I think, I think it's, I mean, there's obviously a difference, right? Like you can feel it as a customer when, yep. when an organization that you work with, when a company you work with, your buying product or service from is actually acting from a place of like core values in those kind of decisions, it may not come out in the actual decision itself, right? Like the discount or the added value or the added service at no additional charge kind of approach. Mm -hmm. Those can feel transactional, 
but it's in the way that they deliver it, right? Whether that's through like the handholding, right? Like you get a personal phone call. Like that, that I think is one of those things I've seen and experienced firsthand where that feels very different than a mass email or a very late email. Like that's another thing is like how fast were they to roll something out? Um, obviously, you know, you want to give people a chance to think it through and make sure it's the right thing. But there's definitely like, there's a, there's a feeling you get when you're like, they were last to the party, right? Mm, yep. Like that doesn't feel as value driven and higher purpose driven. Mm-hmm. It feels like it, whether it was intended or not, it feels like you got cornered <laughs> and you and then you have to do it. You, you have, to do, you have it, to do it right. so you're like okay well might as well right yeah um and i i look at kind of like when you think about i mean back to the original topic the question today like how can your brand influence how you deal with this crisis right from the pandemic the health side of it to the like economic side the shutdown of all these businesses yep um how do you deal with all this and i do feel like the values driven kind of higher purpose companies and organizations are actually faster at pivoting and rolling out um, stakeholder driven value, right? When they look at their stakeholders, they look at their customers, they look at their employees, they look at their vendors and they say, Hey, how can we help all these groups? Cause right? like, cause like a offering a discount is kind of a no duh. Yeah. Like that's very, it could be transactional. It could be based on values, right? Yeah, it, it could be both, but the speed at which you're able to make that decision, I think can reveal the heart or where that's coming from. Not always. I think there's, you know, if you're just always thinking in a very transactional mode, you might get to that decision quickly, but then how do you roll it out? Right? Like what is the message? What's the tone? What's the, um, what's the delivery method that you're going to use in doing that? Like how many personal phone calls are you going to make? Who, who writes it and signs that letter? Right. Those things, I think, really showcase the heart of the company. Is it coming from a low level manager or did it come from like the CEO or the president or the owner? Yeah. Right. Um, And then I also think, you know, just like how quickly can you be transparent with what's going on? So I think those are those are some of the ways I think that you can kind of tell what's going on. And obviously you can relate it. You can see like, is there a pattern, right? Like we don't judge an organization or a brand on one experience. We judge it over the, you know, multiple experiences. Yeah. We don't walk into a restaurant and have one terrible experience and never go back. Usually. Right. Most people give them a second chance. Like, well, oh, especially if just heard, opened. Right. Yeah. Or, or if we've heard good things about yeah. it, we're like, okay, well, let's give it another chance. An it was an anomaly or they just opened and they're going to have issues when they first open. Let's wait a couple months. Let's go back. Right. Right. But by the third bad experience in a row with a restaurant, you're like, this is, this is a pattern now. And I just, I trust that they're going to deliver a bad experience to me. Mm-hmm. And so you don't go back. Right? right. And so I think the same thing is true now where it's like, okay, you have one experience where, you know, the company does something, whether it's, you know, a discount to their customers or they talk about how they're trying to work to employ, you know, keep everyone employed as best they can, maybe by doing like, partial cuts to everybody rather than laying some people off and other people don't see any difference in their salary kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, One experience doesn't tell us much about the brand, but when we see a pattern of experiences, so now we're what, like six weeks into this, um, at least 
more overtly we're six weeks in, um, we now have a pattern that we can look at and say which organizations are really like operating from a sense of like core values of really caring not only for the bottom line, but for people. Uh, do they have a higher purpose that's driving what they're doing beyond just making a buck? Um, we were talking about this before the show. Like, you know, you can you can tell when decisions are being made because of financial or cash flow issues only, mm. right? Because you don't see a sense of like, we're still wanting to deliver value to people, even if they can't pay at the same rate or the same level. Interesting. You know, so like, are, is the organization extending its value to its customers or even the community at large, despite the fact that people can't pay for it? Right? So, so, so you're saying like um, harvest ability to yep. say like, look, these are the people who have like, they're, they're our people. They've been paying us. They yep. like our service. We need to prioritize them, yep. right? That the ability to solve problems, at least take a step and just say, hey, we know we can do this and we know this will help a lot of people. Yep. Right. So, so, so that reinforces that, that relationship and it also focuses on people you already have. So, so what's the, what's the advantage of focusing on people you already have versus just trying to get out there and just like get, get more hits on your website or. Yeah. I mean, one is like literally like, well, if you say you care about people, you better care about the people you already know mm-hmm. and who know you. Right. Like yeah. that'd be like, you know what? Um, I love my family, but right now I really just need to go help all my neighbors first. Mm. Right. And yeah. if you spent all your time, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, doing stuff with your neighbors and you're not ever spending time with your family in the middle of this crisis, someone is probably going to start asking some questions like really who, what's your priority here? Right. Yeah. Well, and then your kids might start asking like, which one of us is getting the ax first? Like, <laughs> off. like should I start be working on my resume? Is that why you asked me that question earlier? Yeah. I, I would just tell them you should always be working on your resume. Uh, your whole <laughs> yeah. life is your resume. Yeah. Kids <laughs> let this be a lesson. Uh, so I mean, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch, right? I don't think most people would find themselves in that boat. But I think, you know, if organizationally, like if all your, if all of your marketing, so if we're talking about from a marketing perspective, right, all the communication you're putting out, if it's all about how you can like get new clients or get new customers, I think it raises some eyebrows and makes people kind of go, well, what about the people you already have, right? Why are you... Like, yeah, maybe you are a little desperate because the cash flow isn't there. You've lost customers. But why would that not cause you to double down on the ones who want to stick with you, right? Mm, Yep. And there's both, I think, a values-driven reason to do that, right? Like, hey, your values probably somewhere in them say we care about people, particularly our customers. What are you doing to deliver value for them in a moment where they are in crisis, right, Mm. at some level? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first thing. And then the other is like, there's a, there's a tactical level of like strategy in that, and that it costs a lot more to go get a new customer than it does to keep an existing one. So when cash flow is tight and you don't have a lot of room to operate and do different things, why would you not reinvest more in your current customers so that you can keep them right? When we get through this as the economy will eventually pick back up, don't know when, right? Three, six, 12, 24, 36. I don't know how many months, years this is going to take. Uh, 
it's going to take some kind of time, but it will come back. And when it comes back, the demand is going to be there for you to get new customers. Mm. But the question will be, how many do you still have, mm. right? Because you're going to spend a lot more getting all those new customers when the economy does come back than you will just keeping the ones you already have, right? And it may mean taking a hit, right? It may mean like, okay, we got to we gotta flex. We got to look at adjusting our uh, what we're what they're paying us and what we're delivering for them. You know, we're having that conversation with a lot of our clients and I think almost all of them over the last six weeks is like, look, whatever agreement we had before, let's, let's see what needs to change. Yeah. You know, let's have that conversation. And a lot of them have had to change that agreement. Like we got to shift what we're doing. Sometimes that's meant, um, you know, stopping some things. Sometimes it means starting new things with them. Um, but it's, I think it's a conversation that you have to have if you say you care about your customers mm -hmm. at any level. So I, I have a question that that <clears throat> wasn't planning on asking, but um, is it is it is there still room for brands to kind of ask for the sale? Is there still room to sell, or should we only be focusing on like uh, you know reaching out to people, um, empathizing? you know, uh, sending out encouraging messages, yeah. free help. I think this is my gut. This is a great question, Chris. Thanks, man. I wish I had <laughs> thought about this more before we got on. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a really interesting and I think tough question. I think you have to individualize it a little bit to your customers and to your brand. Mm -hmm. For instance, the way I would think about that with a service-based brand versus a product-based brand, it does feel different to me. I think product-based brands already have a higher degree of, like you can ask for the sale mm -hmm. um, because it's a product. And especially if you're selling it directly to the consumer, probably through a digital platform, you have to, right? There's no one else that's gonna do it. There's no sales call. There's no salesperson in that relationship and so, your marketing has to ask for the sale and that's more indicative that, I mean, that's relevant anytime, whether in a crisis or not, um, versus service-based brands. If, if your sales process and even, you know, products that maybe have a higher price point and they go through some kind of more one-to-one -one sales process, I would argue in those cases in general, anyway, your marketing probably shouldn't be asking for the sale. That's not the job of your marketing. The role of marketing for a service-based business or a high-value ticket item is to g drive a lead, mm -hmm. right? Drive interest, who then asks for a deeper consultation or a tour or a test drive or um, like I want to I want to kind of check it out. I want to try it out, right? You don't do that with a lot of like you know Amazon products. We don't get to try them out ahead of time, right? And so I think that's, I think, a little bit of the difference. But then in, in a crisis, I think that's amplified, right? So I think every message you send out that is asking for the sale or is getting close to asking for the sale or asking for the tour, asking for to schedule an appointment, asking for the consult, I think you need to be really, really careful about when you do that and to whom you're doing that. So one thing is, you know, are you have you already implemented like savvy marketing systems that allow you to know where in the funnel that person is? Mm, right. Okay. I don't think so. It's always the case. You shouldn't probably be asking for the sale when they've never met you. Right. Yep. Yep. 
you can kind of get away with that when times are good, right? Like you can kind of be like, discount, right? Like you just hop on the website for the very first time or you just saw an ad from this brand for the very first time and boom, there's the discount, gonna buy it, right? I think right now that feels cheap, that feels super salesy and it feels very, very self-interested that you only care about getting their money and not about delivering a solution to their problem, Mm. right? Because you haven't even really educated them yet that you can do that. You've instead said, don't worry about the solution or your problem, just go for the discount, Mm. which tells me you don't really care about that person. So you might not intend that, right? But I think that's where like in the, so if we talk about the funnel, right? There's awareness at the top, there's engagement in the middle, there's conversion at the bottom. Um, your kind of typical standard, most basic journey that people go through in discovering a brand and deciding to purchase from it for the first time. You typically don't ask for the sale until they get to, they get through engagement and they get to conversion. Now some advertising might, you know, like direct, direct advertising, direct marketing, would say, go through that entire funnel in one experience. And I think that's still possible, but I think right now you have to be really thinking carefully about how have you created really strong branded awareness and engagement that shows that you're gonna deliver value to people before they ever have to click on something, schedule a tour, you know, click to buy. Uh, See, I, I like this because you're getting, <clears throat> you're getting from, uh, from brand. Yep. To uh, we don't always talk about the tactics, right? Yep. We don't always talk about the funnel and just the kind of the brass tacks of how all this works on this on this podcast because yep. we're you know talking about values, we're talking about brand and, and offering that. Um, but I love this because what you're doing is you're saying that these two things work hand in hand. It sounds like. <clears throat> yep. Um, what I'm wondering too is um, based on what you're just saying, is it that now? I mean, you said you should never. You, maybe you should never be asking for the sale if you're doing that relationship marketing directly or the or the the marketing. Uh, please correct me where I'm wrong, but it's sadly like you're saying that. And I'm wondering if maybe that. So I've I learned awareness, interest, desire, action, which is that's a more nuanced. It's just yeah. it's just it's the same thing. What you're saying. Just, if we use I desire, higher level. <clears throat> yep. Desire is the goal. Um, <clears throat> then all we're doing when we ask for the the sale is asking for the sale shouldn't do any work uh, beyond just getting out of the way. Right. So you don't have to pressure someone to make the sale. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is you just create that desire in them and say, Hey, here's the product and develop that understanding of what it can do for them. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like pressuring the sale, I think the most common thing we think about is like discounts, right? Well, I think of a car salesman. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or, no, yeah, like, like that's not a, having developed my desire before they say you need this exactly, car, get into it. Right. You know, yeah. but let's think about it from a discount standpoint, because I think discounts act in the same way, right? Yeah. Discounts are an incentive to get me to purchase now, mm-hmm. right? Why is that important in that process? What about that discount and purchasing now versus tomorrow or next day or in three weeks? How does that help the customer? It doesn't. It sounds like it's based on the it has nothing to do with the needs. customer. It yeah. has to do with the business's needs. Either right. they have too much inventory, right? So they got to push it. Or there's some time constraint that they're looking to hit, whether from a financials perspective or something else. It usually has very little to do with the customer. It has everything to do with the brand, right? The bit Or yep. the business, yep. right? Um, 
it's like a holiday sale, but yeah. it's really, it's like, eh, they're not really celebrating the holiday. Yeah. Like, what does or it matter to them? Right? there's a lot of competition right now, which yeah. is a holiday sale, right? There's uh, a lot right. of brands who are offering all the same stuff, and gotcha. our product is a little bit commoditized in during the holidays because there's so much competition. Right. So how do we cut through the noise? Well, let's give everybody a discount, mm-hmm. probably more or equal to what our competitors are doing. Right. When we think about brand, what is brand doing for you when you do it right? It should, I, was, I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. They were asking me, what are the metrics to measure good branding, right? Like if I'm working on my brand, how do I know it's working? And we talked through a lot of different, I think metrics you can use, but one of them should be your margin should go up and the effectiveness of your marketing and communications should be more effective, meaning it costs you less. Mm. And I think one of the ways it can cost you less is you have to be less discount driven because your brand is cutting through and saying, we're different, we can solve your problem and no one else can. So what is the discount? You said discount driven. What does that mean versus the- It's the, transactional. Is it, is it's it cost driven. Would you put that against like brand driven then? Or yes. Or is that how, okay. Yes. Now I think there's tactically times where, yeah, okay, in this moment we need to be cost driven. Yeah. Right. Like again, if you have too many cars on the lot and you're paying for all of them, you, you're holding the overhead on all those cars. You probably have loans taken out to be able to put them on your lot as a dealer. Right. Yeah. That's actually how most of them finance. They, that's how they get all those cars. They borrow the money usually from the manufacturer. It's a total, it's crazy, the scheme of... But even like a grocery store, they buy the stuff and it sits there and they need to move it. Yeah, and some of it's going to expire, right? So like you don't want too much of it to expire, otherwise you lose a lot of money, right? And then you make it harder to deliver the next time, right? Yep. So there is a sense of like, I think you can look at the end game and kind of go, we are doing this because we want to serve customers in the long term. Right. So we've got to move the milk right now. We've got to discount the milk in order to get it off the shelves, get inventory, you know, out and make sure people have milk. Right. So, so, so are you saying the brand driven is is the reverse because brand driven treats the the discount as a just kind of a tactic to help us with live out our brand. More, right? It's closer to a last resort. Yeah, yeah, right. a little more of an operations kind yep. of efficiency thing rather than a business driver. Exactly. Okay, right. gotcha. So if you're constantly operating on discounts, I think you need to start asking a lot of questions about your brand, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, your brand is not working for you, right? Why do you need to run so many why, discounts? Why do if, you have if to people run, respect yeah. you so much or yep. if people like and trust you so much? Yep. Now, there might be an industry where that's common, but I would even argue if you look at disruptors in most industries that are like that, right, where people only buy based on a sale or perceived discount, Mm. it's interesting that the disruptor brands in that category often position themselves as the no sale brands, right? The no Mm. discount brands, because they're delivering so much more value that they're just like, we're going to give you the price as it is, right? The price is the price. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to fake you out by like, lifting the retail price and then discounting it when in fact you know as a consumer if everyone discounts their prices the price is the discounted price they're still making money on that otherwise they wouldn't do it right right um and it's across the board so it must just actually be that price well and i think about uh groupon as well because you always hear those stories about groupon the horror stories of how some restaurant bought groupon and they got a bunch of people they lost money on and those same people never came back because yep. 
they were bargain hunters. They yep. were there for the bargain, not for the experience of that exactly. restaurant. They weren't looking for a new restaurant. They weren't bought into the brand. Yeah. And they right. weren't actually sold on the brand because they didn't come back, they're, which they're, is another metric for your brand effectiveness is do people come back? Yeah. Do they love it? Did you delight them with your brand and the experience you built for them that they go, yep, I'm doing that again? Well, it and how often I've experienced this, how often does a brand actually enjoy doing the work or delivering on a discounted price? They hate it. They hate it. <laughs> Especially in services, right? Yeah. Like, I mean... We know, like, when we've had to discount something with a client, yep. like, there's a little bit of, like, everybody's you're, a little, like, Ugh. you're on edge because you're, like, I really hope this goes the way we planned yeah. it. And if it doesn't, I hope they money. let us be really creative. And, and we can, yeah, we can, <laughs> you said it, Sam, we can lose money. As the project manager, I'm just, like, I, I don't want to do anything on this because I, I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do too much, you know, and we'll lose money on yeah. it. Well, and I, like... I've bought Groupons in the past to restaurants and you pull that Groupon out and you can just see the look on the waitress's <laughs> face. She's like, oh, another like, one of these oh, guys. You're going to be an awesome tipper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and there's even, I think, a question in the consumer's mind, right? Like, I think consumers are now savvy enough for the most part that when they see a deal, they might be enticed by it and they might still purchase, right? Because at the end of the day, like cost is still a function of sales, right? Yep. And I want to get value. And one way I can get value is to think that I'm saving money, right? That if I were to purchase this somewhere else or from someone else, I'd pay more. And therefore, if I buy from you, I'm saving myself some money, right? Um, but it's like, man, if you consistently are delivering products at a discounted price, I think customers are savvy enough to start going, I know I'm not getting the highest quality. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not going to get the best service. I know there's a trade-off to this. I can't expect to get a low price compared to everyone else and get everything else that I want, right? And so now it's a trade-off. And I think over time, if you do that long enough with your customers, you will develop a brand that people are like, they kind of settle for, right? I mean, think about like, does anyone love Walmart? If Walmart was going under right now, would anybody be like, let's go save Walmart? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Right. Yeah, like, it's hard to imagine that. Yeah. I don't think people would be like bending over backwards to make sure that Walmart made it. Right. right. And I think some of that is because when you think about what Walmart's delivering, right? They're delivering cheap products, cheaper than what I would get elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. They're even on, I think in general, on average, they're cheaper than Amazon on most products. And you know, like, I mean, I've bought furniture there, I bought all sorts of other stuff that I'm like, I know I'm getting cheap product here and I don't expect it to last. And I think if you continue to do that long enough, you're essentially building your brand around this, this feeling of settling like, well, I would prefer something better, but I'll settle for Walmart. Mm -hmm. And that's now the brand, right? Their brand is really based on kind of people settling for them. Like, well, I'd rather go somewhere else, but they're open at midnight. So what happens if a brand, let's say during like a recession or something mm -hmm. like that, like, a, like an emergency type situation, what happens if a brand... <clears throat> decides to they they flinch right they, they instead of sticking with their values they decide to man well we just got to pay the bills right now yep 
Right. And yeah, we all know there are some very real challenges yep. with cash flow and stuff, but we got to pay the bills right now. What's the trade off if they suddenly decide to start going after the discount or trying to just make the quick sales, trying start start looking after looking for ways to just move cash? Um, well, I don't I don't want to. I don't want to like throw everybody who's looking at cash flow under the bus. I think well, looking at cash flow should be part of that process. Totally. Right? Yes. And not least because it's like, well, just smart, savvy stewards of a business would say, look, there's less money coming in. Therefore we can't do as much, right? We and, can't spend as much. And Resound is doing that too. Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody, we should everybody be is, being responsible. Everyone yeah. should at least consider that. Yep. That's an operational thing though. And I think you should be really careful about how it extends into the brand. And because now you're setting an expectation and a perception to your customers of, you know, well, when times get tough, we don't care about you, right? Um, so I think how you deliver that, I mean, I, I think it's it can be acceptable in a short term. Like again, we talked about discounts can play a part in your business tactics, but I don't know that they're your strategy, right? And so I think you should be really careful about how you do that. So for one, like, are you doing it to, for everyone? Maybe you only do it for your existing customers. Maybe you just say, hey, look, we love you. We wanna keep you. We want you to be satisfied and continue to get the great value that you've already paid for over and over again. So let's continue to make that happen for you. So, so have you seen very often uh, lately brands that previously stood for one thing start to change in ways that don't make sense to you that could potentially ruin their brand a little bit, like starting to get into areas of business that they weren't before. Um, I think one of the, that I, that I heard of, I think there was a, actually it was another, it was a, an agency somewhere in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up, um, now they're advertising something a little different than what they've done before. And it's, yeah, it, I mean, people it, are definitely felt weird. It, fe- it felt yeah. like, it felt like there was a little bit of kind of like, Oh, we're going after different kinds of business. Now. Yeah. No, no longer are we specialized. We are yep. now, you know, um, and it felt anxious to me. Yeah. Well, I think when you start, um, so again, this comes back to like, you know, if you're scrambling right now, right, you've lost a majority of your customers. Um, so there's a few, oh man, there's so many thoughts here. Uh, one thought is literally, I think you have to ask why. Why did we just mm. lose so many customers? Okay. Now you might be in an industry, like if you if you were in events, the answer is pretty clear. There's no more customers, right? Yeah. At least for the foreseeable future. Yep. There are no customers because there's no more events, mm. uh, like in-person real, real events. And I think your pivot at that point, you only have a few options, right? You figure out, is there some kind of skill set or experience or product or service we can deliver virtually? Yep. And if the answer is no, um, you're probably starting over at this point, right? Like your business as you saw it was done and your brand is probably to some degree done. Now, if you did your branding right going into this, your brand stood for more than a product or a service. Mm, And therefore the pivot to something new should feel somewhat more natural. Mm -hmm. And I, so I wonder this agency you're referring to, I wonder if their brand was too focused on a particular product or service or people they deliver to. And so when that didn't work anymore, they essentially are rebooting their brand and rebooting a brand, especially in the middle of a crisis 
is going to be super awkward for your existing, like people who either are your customers or are following you. Right. Cause it's going to feel like, man, the car just took a total U-turn. Yeah. And man, that was super uncomfortable. Right. When, when, when you're in the car in the back seat, when you're growing up and dad's like, Oh shoot, we're going the wrong way. And he does like the quick, you know, quick U-turn across like, and he doesn't tell you. Yeah. It doesn't tell you no warning, (laughs) quick U-turn across like six lanes of traffic. You freak out, right? You're like, not only physically are you being like jostled all over the place and it's crazy, but you're like, oh my goodness, there's cars coming. Ah, like what's going on? I don't know where we're going. Yeah. Right. And you're in like fighter pilot. All the kids in the back are like, dad, what's going on? You know, (laughs) that's what you do to your customers and to your audience, right? Who knows you, even if they're not buying from you, they know you. When you make a hard left turn Mm. with your brand and you haven't set up your brand in a way where that feels natural, right? Mm. Where you kind of go, oh, yeah, it actually makes sense that you took this left turn because it's not really a left turn. It's kind of more of a, you know, we kind of edge to the left. We, we merge to the left. So in other or words, to the right. they can tell your your brand is still real. Those values yep. weren't just words on a wall, yep. but you're pivoting, but you're pivoting in accordance with those values. Yep. And what you just said was some interesting in creativity research. Uh, I've read a little bit on that and the... Um, what you do is, is like Albert Einstein's uh, quote. Um, if I had, I think it's like an hour to save the world, I would spend, or 10 hours to save the world, I would spend nine hours discovering the problem, yep. right? And then one hour solving it. And that that's one of the most important things in creativity. And what you just said was, you need to ask why. Yep. You need to ask why you're losing all this business. Yep. And that's something that I think people skip over because they're like, all right, well, how do we get more business? Well, wait a second. You don't know why you lost business, <clears throat> you know? Figure that out. You can figure that out. Like figure it out. Well, and I think you have to, you have to be really, we were just talking about candor this morning with our team. Uh, I think you have to be really candid with yourself. And and this is really hard. I mean, we've even had, I've had to ask myself this question when a client, when things get tough and a client says, I don't really want to spend with you anymore. It might be just literally like their business is in a tough spot and they've got to cut stuff. And I kind of hope that's where most of our clients are. But there's another part of me that goes, there's something about what we delivered that they don't see value in anymore, right? And I think every business has to be soul searching if they're seeing a lot of their business going away from existing customers and go, what was it I wasn't delivering value on? Mm -hmm. Why was it that even when times get tough, they're not like, hey, is there some way we can make this work? I really need you. Yeah. And you said something interesting too before in a previous conversation that there's a difference between someone just reducing their spend a little bit, but mm-hmm. keeping the same things going because yep. they believe they work and they believe you're the ones to do it. And then them saying, well, we need to completely uproot this budget item. Yep. Cause it's like, wait a second, if they're uprooting it, if they're fully pulling it out, yep. maybe that's a sign that we need to look closer at yep. the value we're offering. Yep. Well, and this is such a unique thing with, with physical proximity being a big deal right now. There's a lot of businesses that are, hurting because of that aspect of what's going on. So for that, it's like, yeah, if, if we were able to be close to each other physically, like proximity wise, this wouldn't be an issue. Yep. Um, you know, any, any business that is reliant on that aspect of society is hurting right now. Yep. Yep. That's not because their service or their product was bad. Yep. It's because there is a literal like restriction on that, uh, from the government or just from people, not wanting to get sick or whatever it is. So 
this is a unique time where where that's a big factor. Yep. So I think a good test for this is going to be what restaurants come back. So some of them will come back just because like the coffers were full and they were able to kind of just ride this out, right? But I think there's going to be others where their brand still drove traffic. Like if they were still offering like curbside or delivery or, you know, some kind of pickup type thing, that their brand drove traffic because they built the they built the loyalty to the brand, not to the particular like, oh, the way that we deliver this one thing, right? Well, if I can't go into the restaurant, I'm not going there anymore, right? If that's, I think, part of the response here. Now, there's going to be other extenuating circumstances. If you have a large dine-in restaurant, you've got five, ten thousand 10,000 square feet of real estate, and your delivery and pickup may just not be enough traffic yep. to really sustain that. Yep. But I think there should still be like, look, if, you, if you're just watching all of your customers walk away right now, I think you have to be asking yourself, like, what beyond the circumstances that my customers find themselves in makes them say, I don't even want to try. Right. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's hard. And that's a very critical viewpoint. I think, you know, that's something that, you know, take with a grain of salt. Right. There's like you just said, Sam, there's a lot of other extenuating circumstances, but well, and in the particular like restaurant example, have you positioned your restaurant to only be like convenient for like a certain part of town? Like I'm yep. putting my restaurant here because there's a lot of office buildings and I just want traffic. I just want yep. foot traffic. I, I'm not like, I'm not, I know I'm not the greatest restaurant. My food's not the best, but I'm convenient for people. And then something like this happens. Nobody's at their office yep. and, and convenience doesn't in. cut it anymore. Yeah. Um, I think one really interesting like kind of case study here locally is Fox restaurants. Mm. They, I think they've done actually a really good job of not being like pushy from a standpoint of like, Hey, we're still open. We're still (laughs) making food. Come get some of our food, but they've gotten really creative with how they've delivered that message of like, Hey, you know, here's some pre-made packages for your Mm. family. Um, and we've we've taken advantage of that, and I've I've gone to pick it up and like like how you guys doing? Yeah. And overwhelmingly, they like at the different Fox restaurants are like we're actually doing pretty good. I'm like great, that's cool. It's good to hear. Yep. Um, so creativity, I think, is a big part of like how you address this. But but I, I think Chris, you and I were talking a little bit earlier this week um, in a different setting about like if you have your your values and your purpose set. When stuff like this comes around, you're not scrambling. You're not panicking. You're just mm-hmm. going back to those and saying, all right, this is who we are. We're not changing. Yeah. The world's changing. So how are we going to address this with what we know we we already are and we're not changing? And, and what a contrast. I remember what you're talking about. And it was a call um, with a bunch of people on it. And what a contrast that is with a lot of businesses out there that are uh, they're worried. You know, They're talking about how things are tough and looking for a shoulder to cry on, which is, is, um, and, and we're, you know, we're sympathetic to that for sure. There's a big difference between those brands and, you know, brands that are, that know what they're about because your path is clear. It seems like, right. That's what I took away, um, from, from what you said, uh, during that call. And, and, um, I was like, I was like, go Sam, you know, (laughs) I was like, people need to hear this hope, right? I mean, they, they need to hear that, that if you know what you're about, then the pathway is a lot more clear and you know what you're supposed to do, which is half the problem. Yeah. I think, and sometimes. you know what you're about beyond the product or service. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think like 
we're writing this book right now. And that's like, we spend like a lot of time talking about how the, one of the big dangers in branding is to brand around the tactics of your business, right? And product and service is actually a tactic, right? It's one way to deliver to your customers, but it's not the only way. And if you have a purpose or a, a brand, you know, like a set of values, a purpose and a story that's really only grounded in that one thing you do or those couple things you do, when the world changes on you, right? You don't have a point of foundation and solidity to stand on anymore. Yeah. Right. It was arbitrary. All it was arbitrary. arbitrary. Yeah. Right. It was contextual. It, right. it only mattered within the context of the world around you. And when that context changes, you're left without any foundation for your brand anymore. Versus like, I think what you guys are talking about is like brands that are, that feel rooted, that feel solid and like are going to like really not just withstand this, but are going to like thrive in some ways mm. through this yep. are ones that are built on something much deeper and more foundational than just a product or service. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, I think about, um, there's a, there's a consultant I follow. His name's Mark Horseman. He's got a fantastic, uh, book called the effective manager. And he consults with, you know, fortune 500 companies, fortune thousand, all the way down to small businesses on how to manage people. Right. Yep. Uh, we actually use some of his methodology and we find it, it's fantastic. Um, all, a lot of his money is made through in-person two, three-day seminars that he puts on across the country. And so this like completely, like all of that's gone for him, at least in the short term. I get his daily, he's doing daily emails right now of just things he's thinking about. And the dude just oozes confidence, right? Now, some of that might be that he's financially sound. He's, you know, got a nice, they, they as a business have done the right things. They've, they've maintained a savings account and they, you know, really have money in the bank and they can withstand it. And they're pivoting, right? They just released a new virtual seminar um, for the first time in the history of their company. It's something they've actually fought, not fought, but they've they've really shied away from doing in the past. And now they're kind of like acquiescing and say, let's, well, we got to do it right now. And we don't know if we're going to keep doing it when things get back to a little bit more of a normal, you know, type of way of doing things. But I think because his brand is not rooted in the delivery, right? He has all these different ways that he delivers value to people. Mm. And so he's not at a point where he and his, his company, and there's, you know, there's, I think 15 of them, they don't feel like they have to freak out. Right. And they, maintain a f fantastically strong brand through all of this. Um, he's a, I, his brand has been really interesting to watch through this um, because he is so transparent and so clear about what he's thinking about almost any issue right now. Um, and he's very opinionated. So <laughs> it's become through very clear. Um, so I, I think that kind of illustrates that point of like, look, when you know what you stand for beyond just a product or service or how you deliver a product or service, it just makes everything that much easier when, you know, the world just throws an earthquake at you. So, so let me ask you one final question as we're kind of running out of time here. How does, how does this crisis, this disruption offer an opportunity for good brands, big brands, small brands, in between brands to, to change and potentially influence the brand of a state like Arizona? Mm. I kind of want to hear what you think, Chris. <laughs> are you asking like I've done oh. so much talking? Are you asking <laughs> how they can me. how they can um, uh, become stronger through this, or how does how does it how could Arizona change 
if, how could Arizona change through this? How could this turn into a benefit for Arizona? What, yeah. what could, what, what, how, do, how, how does this become a chance for brands to actually change the way Arizona's perceived and contribute to Arizona's brand? It's an interesting question because I think uh, economically, I don't know if I've seen this, but this thing hit during Arizona's like most prosperous time of the year mm. in March. Uh, in in yeah. the the boon of spring when we have spring training, we have golf ah, tournaments, we have right. uh, car shows, like everything is happening in Arizona right now. Because the summer is too hot. The summer is too hot, and this is like our weather from February to April is beautiful. Yep. And Especially compared to like most of the rest of the country right. too. Yeah. So there's no competition. Everything <laughs> went to a screeching halt. Uh, and... I think that's interesting. Um, and maybe there's another, maybe there's another sister state like a Florida where that happens too. Mm. I, I think they have a lot of spring training there as well, but, but I think that's interesting um, from, and, and I know a lot of other states I think have been hit harder um, than Arizona, but, but that's an interesting question for Arizona specifically. So what would happen if half the s co companies Half the dollar value, I don't know, big companies, small companies, half the companies in Arizona that are Arizona-based companies decided to say, we're going to focus on our brand. We're going to live, but we're going to start living it. We're going to find a way to live out our value. We're going to discover them and we're going to go through them and we're going to find a way to live them out. We're going to talk with people in our company. We're going to have this discussion. We're going to figure out how we live out these values. I think I can think of two things off the top of my head that would happen to Arizona's brand or our, our people's perception. First would just be this is a place where brands think about themselves hmm. and work on themselves, right? When I mean, that's say a natural that, is that authenticity then, or is that a is that kind yeah of a, like yeah I think that's a like an honesty yeah yeah I, I thought authenticity or honesty to the truth of who the brands are. Or, you know, somewhat of a, you know, a little more introspective, but in a good way. I think introspection can have kind of a negative connotation. Not like sometimes. a navel gazing way. Not navel gazing, uh, right? Because if na navel gazing says, look at my, I'm going to look internally, but I'm never going to do anything with it. And I'm mm -hmm. never going to impact other people through that navel gazing, right? Yep, yep. That's why it's navel gazing. That's why it's made fun of. Yeah. Because you're constantly staring <laughs> at your navel and you're never looking out, right? right. Yep. Um, so I think as long as brands look in and then look out right and act outwardly from that from that center right i think the other thing you'll find is that as you find commonality of those values right so wherever if you had the giant venn diagram of all the company values across arizona yeah i see where you're going right so yep. where do you see like the most overlap yep well those are the places where arizona's brand is going to be built right yep the, our identity is going to be most seen through the lens of those particular values. So, so then Arizona becomes like a company that says either here are our values and they're, they're specific enough that they're, they're not just the values that everybody has that mm -hmm. we've thought about these. Right. Mm -hmm. So then people look at it and believe them. Yep. Also, even if there are other States that have those values, we're the ones who own them because we're the ones who, Yep, put them on display. This is yeah, we were the ones who put name it, who, claim it, Chris, who made ourselves vulnerable enough to say, "Hey, here's what we stand for," but then also enjoy the benefit of being the first to to take the stand. You yep. know, name and claim it. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, all you about. Just, you just went. Yeah, it's, I'm care. the Joel Osteen. Of... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he a name and claim it guy? I don't know. He seems like a. He's, I don't know. He's, I don't. Glass, he's he's very, to speak it into existence. Well. Glasses half Speak it full. into existence. Speak it into existence. Say it and it will be. Yeah, very yeah. glass half full kind of guy. Let's just say. I think to wrap wrap up this <laughs> this conversation about Arizona, if you had if you had more organizations, um, if, if their goals and their end products were based on their vision, which was based on their values, which was you know scaling up this tree of branding of like your purpose. And then your 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 underlying why? Why are we even doing this? Why are we even in business in the first place? Um, you'd start to see better products. You'd start mm-hmm. to see um, more clear cut um, expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd see Arizona as a whole uh, become kind of this like, uh, for lack of a better term, I don't like the whole Silicon Valley thing, but you'd see this like this place, this geographical place where people know and they kind of trust that area, that geographical area of like, I know good stuff comes out of there. Yeah, there'd be like a handful of things where it's like, if you want X, you need an Arizona company. Yeah. Or it's just like this kind of, this geographical like, oh yeah, when you hear that term, that Silicon Valley or or Phoenix, like, oh, that's a place where like good, good stuff comes out of there. Like interesting stuff comes out of there. Stuff mm-hmm. that I have comes out of there. And I like... If somebody's there, it means they're this, you know? Yeah. Yep. You know what w- word keeps popping in my head? Related to the word authentic, what but word? a better word, I think. Real. Mm. Fewer syllables. Love it. More yeah. efficient. We're the, I, I wonder, like, I wonder if, like, if more brands here, and I, a lot do, right? Yeah. And, but if even more brands here really did that hard work of understanding themselves, their purpose, and really did a better job continuing to do a better job, like constantly getting better at communicating that and delivering on that purpose. I wonder if it wouldn't actually create a perception of, and not a perception, but an actual, in reality, brands here are real, right? They're real with how they communicate. They're real in how they produce. They create real products, right? And real services that deliver Mm. real value, uh, actual value. Um, man, that yeah, would get me some, excited. Some substance behind all those substance. claims, right? I like that. Yeah. Yep. Real. Real has substance. fewer real letters, though. So yeah. totally, it we're is. going with real. Yeah. Right. Let's do it. Plus, um, real estate. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, oh, boy. <laughs> I, um, Mike Jones, I want to thank you for being my guest. I feel like uh, on the podcast, but then also yeah, Sam as well. Talking. The producer. But this is great. We had some really good conversation. The producer. Did I say that right? Did producer. You that? Thanks, Chris. P. And his voice, his Executive radio voice, producer. radio voice. I don't hate it. Can we hear it one more time, Sam? Let's hear it. Yeah, guys, I just wanted to say thank you. It was it was a pleasure, a real pleasure. And that's what I was hoping for. We've got to start another show just so you can use that voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is it for another episode of the AZ Brandcast, where we delve into the makings of remarkable brands here in the state of Arizona. Thank you so much for joining us. The AZ Brandcast is a project of Resound and is recorded in Tempe, Arizona with hosts Mike Jones and Chris Stadler. It's produced and edited by Sam Pegel. Music is produced and provided by Pabrid, an Arizona-based music group. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and at azbrandcast.com. If you'd like more episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. 
To contact the show, find out more about AZ Brandcast, or to join our newsletter list to make sure you never miss another episode, check out our website at azbrandcast.com. Copyright Resound Creative Media, LLC, 2020.